this is Timeboxing, a podcast about creative pursuits versus sanity. I'm Carl Sandral, a composer and music producer in Little Armenia, East Hollywood, California. Um, first off, thanks for the kind emails on episode one. If you want to do me a huge favor and help other people find it, in iTunes you can click the number of stars you think it deserves or write a little review. That really helps. Anyway, things are good. Uh, since last time I've been keeping busy recording strings for a fashion video by my friend Celia. Mixing this for an upcoming project. really trying not to lose my mind on that one, getting everything to uh, fit together. <laughs> and of course, I've been working on this show, uh, which I have to say, never having hosted anything before, that editing yourself can be pretty cringe-inducing. Lots of this. So another thing uh, I've noticed is... And this. Uh, um, like, you know... Um, um, so that's how I talk in real life, apparently. Maybe instead of cleaning it up, I'll start pitch-shifting it to uh, publicly shame myself. So another thing... <laughs> I've noticed is today my guest is Will Roselip, a cellist and classical music advocate slash hype man. But first, look at this. Today I'm recommending everything, specifically the anthology web series entitled Everything by Danny Jelenic and Jason Wetzel. This is one of the most creative and inspiring web series I've ever seen. It was created for Channel 101 between 2009 and 2011. Each episode is five minutes and features segments by Danny, Jason, and a mix of other great filmmakers like Daniels and Fatal Farm. The segments are really all over the place. Some are surreal, some are dramatic, some are stop motion. But I'm particularly drawn to these because many of them are weird little ideas that might not have otherwise found a home, like in the context of a larger film. And what they add up to is super cool. So there are very few things that give me as strong of an urge as this show does to go out and make something cool. So watch it. You can find everything by Googling the phrase everything channel 101, but I will also put a direct link in the description of the show. Everyone, everything. Go watch everything. <laughs> but it's just... It's like the one real weakness of the cello. Yeah. I don't think violins and violas have it. Or just do it. This sounds better. I've known Will Roselip for over a decade, first as a neighbor and then roommate in college. He is very passionate about music, the kind of guy who could lock himself in a tiny practice room all Saturday and come out feeling happy and fulfilled. <laughs> that, that struck me as until college, I hadn't met someone who eats, sleeps, and breathes music in quite that way before. He studied classical cello, but is very open-minded about all types of music. Over the years, he's introduced me to tons of hip hop, electronic, rock, metal, etc. These days, you'll find him in the Northeast working at Boston Public Radio. And he actually gave me some great advice and guidance when I decided to start this podcast a couple months ago. So thank you for that, Will. He's been pretty busy lately. I'll try to sum it up quickly. He's a cellist and the media director of the Cambridge Philharmonic Orchestra. He runs the website classicaldarkarts.com. And he just released a book on Amazon called The Libertine's Guide to the Classical Music Revolution. I visited Boston back in February and had a chance to record some cello parts, but also this interview. 
Hello, Will Roslett. Hi, Carl. What would you say draws you to music and motivates you to put more of it into the world? I've just always listened to music. It was always present in my house. My parents had a stereo system and would play it 24-7. My grandma played the organ. And it was just like the most natural thing to always have it around. So I feel like it's weirder to not have music playing. And to make more of it, I don't know. It just feels like something that has to be propagated and it's a really natural thing. So you don't have to, Yeah, I don't really have to think about it too much. Do you remember like one of the earliest moments when you started feeling need or interest in making music since it was all around you was it was there ever a moment where you felt something click playing an instrument or something like that so for a long time when i was in middle school and up until first or second year of high school somewhere in that range i played a lot of magic the gathering with friends hours and hours and days and days of magic the gathering which is like super freaking nerdy i acknowledge <laughs> it was a, it was a passion it was an obsession we competed and had rankings and would do it all the time. And I remember going to this thing in Milwaukee called Gen Con. I don't think it's still there anymore. But it's basically like you call the nerdiest people out of your group and into an even nerdier environment where you play Magic the Gathering all the time. And so we did this for, for three or four days straight in the hotel at the actual convention, trading cards, buying cards, building decks, etc. And it was exhausting and so much fun. And I remember getting home from that and thinking that I never needed to play Magic the Gathering again. Like, that was that was it. And I thought very purposefully at that moment that if I'm not going to play Magic anymore, then I needed something else that I would do that I could kind of obsess over. So maybe this is where it kind of switched over. And I was listening to Nirvana in mm -hmm. utero uh, and all that kind of stuff. And I would start obsessing over music and started reading, like, the Rolling Stone album guide, listening more to classical music. I remember that being a very definitive switch to, like, studying and being really excited about music. Since music is something where you can have an effect on other people as opposed to Magic the Gathering, which is more of a... I mean, it's a social activity, but it's certainly a little bit of an introverted hobby. Yes. I mean, the whole thing is the audience. I mean, there's different ways of presenting the music too. So the first thing is just listening to it in your headphones. Like I listened to Metallica in my headphones from a pretty young age, but when you actually get out to perform it, then you have an audience in front of you and people you want to impress. Mm -hmm. People are there just to have a good feeling and hear music that they like. And that's totally different from playing some game, not to diminish like any game, but you know, <laughs> performing for people and having that connection, something you can only do in a few other things. It's a rarefied experience and like the feedback mm -hmm. that you get from your audience changes things. Transfer of emotions, basically. Yes. And energy. I think right. energy is the biggest thing. Uh -huh. Nervous energy, just the like the vibrations that you get from the people who are sitting in the front row. You see how excited they get or how bored they get too, which is also, that's a good <laughs> signal too. But there's just something kinetic there. And that's what's exciting to me and hopefully to audience, audience members. Something I think about a lot is how you stay inspired. I know as a kid, for example, everything is very playful and new and learning music is this kind of magical thing. Do you think about how you hope to stay inspired, say 10 or 20 years from now? I don't really think about it. To me, there's no question that I would be, but it's certainly it's possible to have some burnout. And sometimes if I'm in the car listening to music or whatever, sometimes it's nice to just have silence, to not be listening to anything. No talk radio, no jamming 94.5, nothing. Where you're just like turning off. And that's really nice. Yeah. But I think I can't even conceive of what we have now versus what we had when I was growing up. 
Not mm. like I'm super old, but you know, when I was growing up, you just had records and CDs, and now you have YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, Pandora, Last FM, an infinite amount of music, and that just gets me so jacked up. I come home from work. <laughs> and listen to all this stuff. I mean, you could listen to a new great album every single every single hour of every single day. And just, I mean, it's staggering the amount of stuff that's out there. And actually, I think the most important thing is just to keep your stamina up because it takes, there's so much inspiration out there and you sort of have to pick and choose what's going to move you versus what's going to just overwhelm you, I guess. Right, yeah, I mean, that's something. So when we were in college, it was right around the time that Napster was starting to blow up. And I remember like, I think that's really interesting what you said about silence because I kind of almost burnt myself out because I was listening to so much new music and it's like a dog that finds the bag of open dog food, you know, <laughs> and just gets sick. I'd be walking it's back. so good at the time. You're just exhausted. <laughs> but I'd be walking back to our place, complete silence, and it was just such a relief. I kind of realized that I need to, like, you know, I need to pace myself if I want to be able to listen to music and enjoy it at the same level I like to. Yes, it can be a little overwhelming. And I feel it, it kind of, it's like the mouse hitting a little crack bar after a while. You're looking for more and more inspiration and sometimes you got to like step back and decide what is good and when you've had enough and when you need to just kind of take a break. Everybody has different thresholds though, I think. Some yeah. people can take it a little, I can take a lot of different and weird noise for extended periods of time, but I don't think everybody has the patience for that. Yeah, for me, it's kind of like a mood thing. What do you listen to when you get up in the morning? Um, do you have something that you go... Do you, like, turn on the radio when you when you first get up, or do you have, like, a set album or something that you are ready to listen to? How do you I've organize it? I've been on that? a podcast kick for a lot of time lately. Maybe that's just because I spend time mixing and composing music so it's my breakfast is like a little sanctuary where, where i can oh, just wait, focus on eggs. hide from music <laughs> One of my favorite things about music is simply that it's fun, and it's fascinating to me that you can easily lose sight of that for random reasons like a personality clash with your first piano teacher. Your whole perception of music can be shaped by those early experiences. So I also asked Will if he had any thoughts on how to keep play as part of music, especially with classical, which can take a ton of discipline. I don't, it's hard to say what gets you in that mindset and like can, it can help you concentrate on the fun of it, even though it's a craft and you're working on it and you have like very specific steps to get better. Mm -hmm. I, one thing I've noticed recently, and this is only within the last maybe three or four years, is I've started to play more seriously in orchestras where if I don't do something and work at it pretty hard, then it's just not going to get done. It's a lot about the personal you can't you can't just go in and sit down and start playing maybe some people can at least i cannot you have to be able to go up to people and make that connection with them and have like a personal interaction almost before you even sit down like you have to be able to see eye to eye with that person find out how they're doing and establish that before you can make any music and so i feel like you know we have a lot of orchestra rehearsals in the lead up to some of our shows i feel like i have to be the guy who's going around at parties with the clipboard, asking people how they're doing and doing a heat check, figuring out, you know, like what's going on with you? You know, have you had enough coffee tonight and blah, blah, blah. And that not necessarily like to make people happy, but just find out where everybody's at makes rehearsals so much more efficient. If you just go in and sit down, you're going to wonder why the first violinist is screwing up that solo passage. Because, you know, it's hard, but you're like, man, you know, why can't she just hit that? As opposed to if you sit down and talk to her before and 
find out that maybe she had a flat tire or something like that. And, and so right. it's, it's understandable that you're getting into it. It takes a little bit of time for everybody to be on the same page. But that way, then things start flowing. And even if mistakes are made, like you're in the wood shop, you're working on stuff and it feels like you're completely in the zone and it feels less like work and more like something you're just kind of building on, like building a very firm foundation for. It's just kind of a, a sign of respect, making good music and working yeah. hard and rehearsing is a lot of work. So if you know that you both live difficult under, lives, right? <laughs> <laughs> live difficult lives kind of and tough. understand that this is a you know sacrifice of time that you know you could be taking a nap right now or you could be hanging out with your friends yeah. or whatever so. I, yeah i don't know like i grew up not being the most outgoing person in the world and i wish that i'd known that sooner actually because i did you know youth symphony rehearsals quartet rehearsals all this stuff down the years and i feel like that could have solved a lot of problems right off the bat just everybody being on the same page being super relaxed and like ready to go i don't know what the exact difference is but it, i feel like it's made all the difference in my playing because i also feel at ease i don't worry about making mistakes it's more about just like getting the lines right and really nailing melodies and like getting more into a state of flow a lot of coffee helps i assume <laughs> other mind-altering drugs could as well but i don't usually perform well if i have those so right. really just like getting into that state as soon as possible is the best thing but as far as the play thing goes some of music is definitely hard work like it's work and right. it's a job I'm sure you found this too. When you're learning an instrument, you just got to put in so a certain number of hours and you really got to do scales and you got to like get comfortable to be able to do kind of the basic things on your instrument. And I don't know if there's any easy way around that, but mm -hmm. yeah. It's definitely interesting to me. For example, I certainly practiced scales as a kid, but I never really truly cared about them until I got interested in jazz where all of a sudden they had this really fun and useful it's all reason to exist. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. So another thing I've noticed, personally, my work can really suffer if I don't pay enough attention to work-life balance. Like if I am so excited about music that I'm going to work really, really, really hard, and then I realize I haven't gone out of my house in a long time or whatnot, or if I haven't been paying enough attention to relationships and friends and that kind of thing, it can just really negatively affect work. Do you have anything that you do to try and keep that in check? Like, do you split up your time in certain ways, that kind of thing? I feel like I am one of the lazier human beings on the face of the planet. I enjoy nap. In fact, before we had this interview, I took a nice long nap. <laughs> and I may take another one yet tonight. Um, I'm a firm believer in downtime and like aimless meandering of thoughts and relaxation. And I think that everybody should do that too. So I, I from the very get-go, I've never had a problem with separating the two. The overworking thing or working a lot is really just to like get things done as efficiently as possible. But there is definitely a point of diminishing returns where whatever you're doing in the practice room, whatever you're doing in the engineering room, you know, you're sitting down behind the board, like trying to mix something. And the more and more you, and more you're working at it, especially if you're under a deadline, it can be self-defeating. I don't think that's always the case, though. I think there is a certain energy, especially nervous energy, that you get by having a deadline and working under pressure right, that right. you just can't get anywhere else. And that, I think that's also essential to making music. Like, you have to have some of those deadlines mm -hmm. because otherwise things just don't get done. I thrive under pressure to a certain extent. Like, you need, right. you need to have the, that natural cutting off point. I think it's a tough thing, though. In my day job, I work at a radio station, and I work with people who get in at 7 a.m., 6.30 a.m., and don't leave until 7 p.m., 
And I and I understand why that is. Like they just feel like they have to be strapped in and ready for any emergency. But I don't mm-hmm. think that's very healthy. And as much as you can to monitor that kind of stuff, I guess just putting hard limits and sticking to that. A work in progress. I don't I don't think I have any magic formulas for that one though. Well, I mean, I think a lot of it is just common sense. And the problem is it's easy to forget about common sense when you have a deadline or you see a movie about a genius musician. They're just like freaking out all the time. Like they know like the <laughs> most efficient way to make eggs and walk out the door and it's like They hey. exist on a totally different plane than we do. Yeah. Right, right. Well uh, there's a story about John Coltrane where he not only performed seven days a week, multiple times a day, but would be playing his horn, answering his door with his right, horn right. hooked around his neck, like constantly playing. And I believe that about him. And I also believe he was a genius and that, you know, I can listen to any one of his records and hear how polished and how flawless a lot of that stuff sounds. Not everything, but a lot of it is just mind bending. I don't know where it comes from. Mm-hmm. For certain people, that's the only way to exist, but I don't think we're all that savant-like, and I think it's more damaging for the average person to plug in like that and never unplug. Right. I think there's, you will suffer ill effects. It drastically limits your enjoyment of it. It drastically limits the amount of time you're going to be able to do this in the future. And I oh, yeah. would suggest that you have a career change in the near future if that's the only thing you can do, because it's just... Yeah. Like you're headed for burnout that well, way. Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of just like if you're driving a car, holding down the gas the whole time, the mechanics are going to fail for yeah. sure. <laughs> Especially in my Honda, where I've never really taken it above 85, but yeah. I have this feeling like bad things happen. The doors are all going to come off if we go any higher than that. I also asked Will about his work as a cellist and media director of the Cambridge Philharmonic Orchestra, which you are hearing right now. Cambridge Philharmonic is a brainchild of a couple other people, a couple fellow Iowans, Uh, One in particular, Sam Stapleton, who wanted to conduct an ensemble here in the Boston metro area. And there's not a lot of opportunities, I don't think, for conductors to get in because there's just a limited number of orchestras and it's hard to find people who want to step in and play in your orchestra, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But it just so happens that there is an excellent system here, a number of music schools, conservatories, and so many musicians that make this kind of thing possible. So Sam came to me with this idea and to some other people too and said basically, hey man, I'm thinking about starting an orchestra, want to do smaller venues, bars, art galleries, all this kind of stuff, perform music that we like listening to that's not necessarily the standard classical canon, thank God, because otherwise, <laughs> you know, I would be out the door right then. And just like, and just try it out and see if we could do it. And so it was just really about getting musicians together, picking some dates. You can't just kind of have an open-ended thing like, hey, you want to come by and read through music, but actually having shows with repertoire and getting all that stuff lined up mm-hmm. and then going out and just playing and seeing who's interested. For better or for worse, it's just like any other orchestra. Like you're getting in, you're playing music for an audience, hopefully a large audience that wants to donate money to the cause and help you promote your ensemble. But it's been a learning experience for us. I think we've got four or five shows under our belt and a few more coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, We've done some different collaborations with electronic artists. 
We've done a fair amount of standard stuff, a few more expected pieces alongside some newer 20th century stuff and Shostakovich and, and um, Schoenberg, all that kind of stuff. But it's been, so far for me, a very interesting experience and a totally different one than just being an orchestra cog and stepping in, you know, sitting down. Right turning on, playing your part, and then leaving. It's actually kind of trying to generate a community around that and get people interested. And I'm really into classical music. I don't think the average person necessarily is. And so I feel like our battle is getting people to come to our shows and or watching a YouTube video, listening to a little clip that we post on SoundCloud Mm -hmm. and being like, okay, that's cool. These people are relatively young. They're not overly geeky. And this might be interesting enough that I can get on board with it and maybe check it out a couple times a year. That's the goal right now, and we're just sort of feeling our way through it. Nice. Next, I asked Will about his website, classicaldarkarts.com. So you and I have been involved with music for a very long time in various forms, classical music, jazz ensembles, both went to music school. So we are all in the fold, like we're on board with that kind of thing. But I guess about a year ago around this time, I started thinking about classical music and what it is that I liked about it and what was not happening. There have been myriad articles written about the death of classical music, why it's dying or why it's completely dead, orchestras going bankrupt about there being no more jobs for classical musicians, which is partially true, about it being generally a dying art. And so I thought to take some of that as truth and disregard the rest of it, just assume maybe it has a marketing problem. And why not assemble a little mailing list, assemble a website, do some little projects to try and generate interest in classical music again. If I can present something as simply as possible so people can get interested in the music, just take it at face value. You don't have to think hard about it. It's cool. If you like listening to it, then that's the only criterion for this. You don't have to invest hours and hours of study in it. So I thought, you know, in the era of BuzzFeed and Gawker and Upworthy and all these other sort of like interesting instruments that we have for attention, doing something where it's pretty simple. You link to performances, you do a little bit of classical news and just generally talk about why you're interested in it. Like if I feel 95% passionate about classical music, if I can get somebody like 45% interested in it, then that's, I mean, that's the goal right there. So I'm starting out just sort of sending out a mailer to some friends and mm-hmm. people who might be interested in it. But the ultimate goal is world domination of classical music. With me is the ultimate hype man. I will be the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the I will be the Russell Simmons for classical music in an ideal world. But if it doesn't work out that way, if I could just get more people to listen to it, mm-hmm. they're willing to take it back to like Toscanini and Bernstein and all these other greats who like brought the music to the masses. They perform music in prime time for people, which is which blows my mind now because yeah, there's nothing yeah. like that anymore. And these people presented it simply. They didn't sugarcoat it. It was a little a little stuffy and pretentious maybe. So we could take uh-huh. the edges off of that. But if we can get back to that point, I mean that's that's the ultimate goal right there. One thing that I've been kind of obsessing over that I don't really know how to broach exactly, but I think is a real opportunity, not just for classical music, is how much of a musical omnivore everybody is now. We have every genre of music at our fingertips. There's not any sort of delineation between styles. Right now I'm listening to the new Young Thug album because I love it, 1017 Thug. He's like this Atlanta rapper 
and he comes out of like the whole Brick Squad scene down there. Yeah. It's a lot of like heavy trap beats, and he does some kind of wild singing. Uh -huh. But if I can listen to that, and then I could turn around and listen to this Brahms quintet that I heard a few weeks ago, then obviously all the walls are broken down. Like you can listen to anything right now, and there's no classical music listener, there's no pop music listener. Like we all listen to everything now. There's a lot less stigma with certain genres. Yes, yeah, and also you can do it so privately now too. So if you're really embarrassed <laughs> that you listen to Katy Perry then you can just listen to her on your headphones when you're on the train or something, and nobody has to know. In closing, what is the best way for people to keep up with both the Cambridge Philharmonic or classical dark arts, Mailer, or any other Will um, News? The best way is to just go to Twitter. So I'm on Twitter all day long, and that is at Will Roselip, at W-I-L-L-R-O-S-E-L-I-E-P. And you can ask me questions, you can taunt me on there. You can basically harass me until I block. I haven't blocked anybody yet, so I invite you to try to get me to block you for the first time. And there's links to all various projects and things like that on there. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot for talking to me, Will. Carl, it's been fun. That's Will Roslip, one of the coolest and sweetest music advocates on the planet. He actually released his book after this interview, or I would have asked him about it directly. But again, it's called The Libertine's Guide to the Classical Revolution. It's designed to quickly diagnose and treat current problems within the classical music industry, such as being out-hustled. You can find it on Amazon at classicaldarkarts.com or in the description of this show. If you have any feedback, I'd love to hear it. You can reach me at timeboxingpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at Sondrol. That's S-O-N-D-R-O-L. For more episodes, just look on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, etc. Or you can visit timeboxingpod.com, which is also the place to hear more of my film music or music music. Speaking of, many great musicians performed on the stuff you heard throughout the show. The classical excerpts were, of course, the Cambridge Philharmonic. They performed Schoenberg's Transfigured Night and the Shostakovich Concerto for piano, trumpet, and strings, the latter of which featured Tay Kim on piano and Kyle Spraker on trumpet. I'm having a hard time talking this fast. As for for my music, it featured Angeline Gergassen and Hawk Coleman on vocals, April Guthrie and Heather McIntosh on cello, Lauren Baba on violin. For the Muzak, we had Gerald Bailey on flugelhorn, Nick Thompson on saxophone, Max Crow on guitar, Quinn Kirshner on percussion, and Hawk again on the Bubba's. My old college jazz trio included Micah Mandy's on drums and Brian Ellison on bass. Anyway, thanks for listening. Next time I'll be talking with Sam Reich, who runs College Humor Video. Okay, bye. bridge straightened out and it is it changed everything about this it's so nice before it was just like it sounded kind of muffled or like it had a cold or something yeah when i took it to this guy he is a genius at adjusting instruments but he looks like a serial killer and he looks and he's got like the thick ass glasses so freaking creepy he was like the guy at the end of the svu episode where you're like yeah we definitely knew it was him the whole time <laughs>